0: It's been a joy again to be here tonight, enjoyed all the good singing and uh, a good fellowship and appreciate you asking me to come out again, had a wonderful service this morning and just uh, thankful for the Lord for being with us at all times and if we'll just be faithful to him, we'll, we'll experience the Lord's hand in all, of our, in all of our services, all of our worship, everything that we do and uh, I am thankful tonight to be saved and be in the, the house of the Lord. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, we'll be taking our text tonight out of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 11 through 16 tonight, Lord willing, Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I believe the last time I came here, uh, about a month or so ago, I was preaching a couple of messages concerning the church, uh, the identity crisis of the church, I believe part 1 and 2 in that last uh, time I visited with you guys. Uh, But tonight I have another message concerning the church, and uh, it's called The Measure of a Church. And so if you're there at Ephesians 4, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 4, start with verse 11. And here the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets... And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the service so far. And Lord, we're just asking now for your help to be able to expand on this text, Lord, that you'll be glorified, keep me hidden, and let you be seen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. The measure of the church, the measure of a church. I, I meant to bring a, a measuring tape tonight, but I forgot it. Uh, you know, it's already, this year is almost half over. I believe in 18 more days we're at the halfway point. Uh, until the year is completed, there's like a hundred and what eighty something days till Christmas, I believe. I uh, hope you're getting your Christmas shopping ready. Uh, 194 Christmas days or shopping days till Christmas. Uh, but uh, you know, there's been a lot happen this past year. Uh, 2020, we all you know was looking forward to that year being over, thinking things going to get better, and it seemed like 2021 just came in like a line, and hasn't really left yet. Uh, a lot of you have suffered a lot of things. I know we have in our family and our church family and um, our friends and a lot of extended family and, and things. A lot of people have been suffering and a lot of churches have been suffering. A lot of churches are hurting right now. A lot of them uh, have lost a lot of people and um, not a, they're not able to keep their doors open, pay their light bills and a lot of things. So uh, it looks like a dark time for the church in this age, but I do know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh, God will always have a church and He'll always have a remnant. He'll always have a people. And I'm glad of that. But, you know, we can look at the past and dwell on it and keep thinking about it and all the things we could have done better, but we can look forward and see how we can improve, how the church can, can pull out of this slump it seems to be in in this day and age. And here in our opening text, we find the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And he's talking specifically about the local New Testament church, that church there in Ephesus. Uh, When uh, it says there in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so he's giving them instruction on the layout, or the really the the structure that God has planned for the New Testament church. These types of people, these offices, or these these uh, uh, people will be uh, is what's going to help the church as it goes and grows. And so when Paul stepped in on the soil of Ephesus, there there was a, he had no idea how big of a job that he was really going to be undertaking. That city was fully given over to idolatry. Uh, there were a handful of believers that were there. But the majority of the city was just, uh, they were idolaters. And you may remember that's where that great temple was built there, to Diana, where that big riot was caused by Demetrius the silversmith. Uh, all that took place in Ephesus. Now, Paul spent an abundant amount of time and energy preaching and teaching here in this city. And the results were, he, uh, there was a great church that began there. God started a great church. Paul didn't start the church. Paul was there being used by God. God started the church. And here in our text, Paul's explained to them all the different types of, I guess you could say messengers, that God is going to use to carry out the gospel message, and he's going to do it through the New Testament church. And so he starts listing off all those people apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right click quickly I'm gonna look over these uh, these messengers that God has appointed for the church, that first one being apostles. Now, these men apostles were commissioned and appointed by God himself, by Christ. You could not become an apostle all on your own. You couldn't just step out and say, okay, I'm going to become an apostle. I'm going to apostle school now. and getting a degree in apostleship. There's people that, that claim that they can do that today. There's men today claiming to be apostles. It's impossible to be an apostle in this day we live in now. You could only be an apostle if you were a witness to Christ after his resurrection, and uh, he personally appointed you as an apostle. Paul, being the one that was born out of due time, he said, and God uh, appointed him an apostle. He saw Jesus there on that road to Damascus, and he felt that he was the least of the apostles because he had persecuted the church. But we have many of these men, the disciples, they were referred to as apostles. And so one of the requirements of an apostle, you had to actually be a witness of Christ after his resurrection. You had to be personally selected by Christ to be an apostle. And there were certain things that you did. Uh one of your jobs was to lay the foundation of the church, of the New Testament church. Uh another um responsibility was to receive, declare, and write God's word. These uh this New Testament that we have here, Paul writing uh, fourteen of the books. I, I personally believe you he wrote Hebrews, so I claim fourteen books Paul wrote out of the New Testament. A lot of people say 13, but you have got John, and you've got Peter. All these men that were apostles that wrote the human penmans of these books of the Bible, which we use for all of our doctrine. And so you receive, declare, and write God's Word. Uh, they were to give confirmation of the Word through signs, wonders, and miracles. And uh, I, I know a, a guy that I used to work with that claims to be an apostle and claims he can perform miracles. I've yet to see that happen, but... Uh, uh, it's impossible. And so this is what these early apostles did. They, they could perform signs and wonders. God gave them that ability through the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And that was, of course, to spread the gospel of the, in that time period. It was needed. They didn't have the canon of Scripture like we have today. They couldn't go down and buy an old school filled Bible off the shelf and and walk around and read everything that's in there. No, they they relied upon these apostles to be able to teach God's Word, His doctrine, His theology, what, what Christ said uh when paul was there in the desert alone with with uh, god and he gave him all that information that most men had no idea about and he was able to come back and and pin down these things and teach them and, and and all this so uh there are no apostles today for the new testament church however this the church the new testament church the foundation of course being christ being the the head of it the the uh the the block the 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 very uh, one that it's on of course, but uh, the apostles making up the the next layer of the foundation uh, right on top of Christ. And so then he lists prophets. Prophets were men of the church that spoke revelation. Uh, They spoke revelation to the church, and they expounded upon revelation that had been given by previous prophets. So they could take the Old Testament prophets and start uh, expounding on what they said and showing them how this is going to fit into the New Testament church. And we see that all throughout the New Testament, how the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing toward the New. The New Testament is pointing toward the Old Testament, showing how that all works itself out. And so the prophets, they expounded on this revelation that God gave them. And the church office of a prophet is no longer around either. Uh, There are some men today that claim to be prophets as well. Now, if you want to use the term prophet as a a heralder of the gospel or someone who proclaims what God has said in his word, that's fine if you want to say that as a base definition of a prophet. But uh, men are not given new revelation by God today. uh, If it's not in his word, then don't believe it. Uh, There's people today that will say, well, God revealed to me something that's not even in the Bible. Run. That guy's a nutcase. Uh, God is not revealing new prophecy to the church today that we're supposed to get from some man. If it's not in his word, don't believe it. Measure everything up by God's word. And so, uh, no new new revelation. And then he lists... Evangelist. Now, we all know what an evangelist is. That office is still relevant today. These are men that go around and they preach a salvation message. They preach, they evangelize, evangelists. They're not based really in a certain church. They may have a home church, but they, they leave from that church and go to other churches to evangelize, to preach gospel messages. Sometimes we call them revival preachers. Uh, but they're evangelists today. They go around from place to place. I can sit here and start naming them all off. But you guys have heard of them. You know who they are. And uh, so they go to, to places and they you call a special meeting. Maybe you want to, we, we call it a revival. It's not a revival until God shows up. But we'll call it a revival service, and we'll invite a man to come in to speak, and he's usually an evangelist. And it's his job to get up and open up God's Word and evangelize the, those in the congregation. Now, in a revival, it's to revive the saints. But a good byproduct of a revival is a lot of people that are lost will come in to hear the evangelist, and they'll hear the Word of God, and they'll get saved. So it all works out good. So that, uh, that actually is still part of the New Testament church. And then he lists pastors. Now, I know a pastor very well. I see him in the mirror every day when I get up and look at him. He's ugly. And uh, uh, these men are called by God to shepherd or be overseers of the church. God has placed a burden on their heart to to watch over the church, the congregation, to help them. The pastor's main job, of course, being a spiritual leader is to... To teach and preach the Word of God. That is the pastor's number one job, by the way, in case you didn't know. It's not to go see your third cousin twice removed. That's not his it's not his priority. His priority is teaching and preaching the Word of God. And anything that gets in the way of that is a stumbling block to him. Now, there are other things the pastor does. Of course, he's there to lead. He's there to shepherd. He's there to help. He's there to pray with. He's there to do all these things. And so a pastor's job is very wide, but... One of the main things he does is to edify and to equip the saints. That's what preaching the word of God does. When you come in and open up this King James Bible and start saying, this is what God says. And let me tell you what he says about this subject or this subject or that matter. That is you being edified and instructed in the things of God. And so that's the pastor's job. You don't expect somebody else to, to come in and, and the pastor say, okay, now you tell my congregation what God says you know, about this or that. I'm afraid to. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> the pastor has to open up the word of God and rightly divide it and teach it and preach it and don't leave anything out. And I mean, and if it hurts feelings, it hurts feelings. But uh, that's what a pastor does. And, of course, that is still part of the church. That's one of the two offices, of course, the other being a deacon. Uh, The deacon is not mentioned here. However, deacons are part of the New Testament church. And then, lastly, in this uh, these verses we read, he lists teachers. Now, a lot of people will downplay the role of a teacher. A teacher is extremely important. Uh, I personally believe the teacher is one of the most important roles in the New Testament church, and one of the most neglected. A lot of people they'll just you know uh, we'll have Sunday school, have Sunday school teachers. And a lot of them are very good, and they'll study all week long. They prepare, they pray, they meditate over the, the Sunday school lesson, and then they come and they get in front of the in the lectern there, in front of the class, and they look around, and nobody's there. And what, how frustrating that is! But what that teacher is doing there, he's there to help you or she, if it's a lady's class, uh, the, the man or the woman that's getting up, that's the Sunday school teacher, they're teaching the Word of God to you. And, uh, listen, we need to, to understand God's Word more. Sometimes in a Sunday school class, we can get into more deeper details than a pastor can during the message. Uh, you can, you can, uh, have a, uh, uh, back and forth with the students and somebody may ask questions that's normally not done in a in a, a church setting when a pastor's preaching but in a sunday school class that's that's allowable and, and that's how you learn and so if people have questions you know uh, they they feel more free to ask them in sunday school than sitting in the church and say hey preacher what's that mean yeah you know? <laughs> they're not gonna do that but in sunday school class they may say, can you help me with that I don't, I don't understand and it's it's fine so a teacher has a very important role uh, when I'm teaching Sunday school, I actually probably spend more time studying for a Sunday school lesson than I do a sermon. Um, I used to teach the Sunday school, preach, uh, lead the singing, sing the special, <laughs> change the church sign, whatever needed done. Uh, I did it uh, at at the other church that I was at, and but I would spend 15 or 20 hours a week just on a Sunday school lesson, and when you combine that with trying to put in 30 hours of study with a, a sermon. I mean, it it gets overwhelming, so it takes a lot for the teacher to prepare for the Sunday school lesson. Now, there are a lot of people that's never been in a real Sunday school class. When I was growing up, we went to some churches that didn't have any real good Sunday school teachers, and so you would go into the class and sit down, and by the time everybody finally shut up and the teacher got up there, they they would read something, maybe they had one of those little booklets, and they'd read it, and they'd say, now, what do you think? That is the worst kind of teaching you can ever have. I don't care. I want to know what the teacher has to say about that and tell me what, what they believe. And that way I can get an idea of what they're thinking. But to sit down and ask everybody else what they think before you even try to teach a lesson, that's poor teaching. And so we had a lot of that back when I was growing up, back in the, the 70s. Uh, early '80s, there was a lot of people that were just filling a role of a teacher. They had no, they didn't really desire to be teachers. God didn't call them to be teachers, but they were fulfilling a position, and so they just went in, you know, opened the class. If nobody had nothing to say, then they talked about the ball game for the next thirty minutes and dismissed. And so it's important that we have real teachers, people that actually feel the calling of God to teach. Uh, actually are interested in, in explaining what God's word means. And so if you have a good Sunday school teacher, you will have someone that studied their lesson through the week. They prayed about it and they've done research they're prepared and they'll teach it. And so those, those uh, messengers, if you will, the New Testament church, Paul lists out, are important. And look at verse 12. Here's what they do. This is what he says this is for. For the perfecting of the saints... For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So all these people that Paul's mentioned, this is the reason that God has wanted these people to be in the church. Two, perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. We are the body, Christ being the head. The body moves, the head guides it. And so we are to be perfected. And you'll find that, that word, perfecting and perfect and things throughout the Bible when it's talking about the church, the New Testament church. That's what God's plan is for the church is to perfect it. Now, will we ever be perfect? Absolutely not. Not till we reach heaven. Then we'll find perfectness. But while we're here, we're trying or we should be, we're trying to reach this perfectness. And so it isn't to see, our goal is not to see how many people we can get in the pews. While it's nice to see people in the pews, that's not our goal. That's not the reason for meeting together for church. Uh, It isn't to see how much money we can collect and how big our bank account can be and how big of a project that we can start, our building fund. I went to a church one time that had a building fund of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and didn't support missions. I mean, what? What's the purpose of that? God never called us to build buildings. He called us to preach the gospel. And so that's the purpose of the church. You see, the problem with most church growth experts is their idea of success is, of course, uh, to see how many people you can get. And so they measure the church by the number of people in the, in the seats, the number of cars in the parking lot, the, the amount of money in the bank account. And that's how they see success. But what that is, is the world's view of measuring success. It's not God's view. God doesn't see success that way. And so most people use the wrong measuring stick. Notice what Paul says next there in the verse in verse 13. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto... Here's that word again. A perfect man unto... And here he gives the measuring guide. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If anybody ever asks you what the, how you measure a church, how a church is looked at, how God looks at a church, point them to this text and say, by the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Don't look at our bank account. Don't look at our numbers on the Sunday school board. Don't look at the cars in the parking lot. No, look and see how close we are to Christ. That's our measuring stick. That's not the world's way of looking at it. That's God's way. That's the spiritual way. And so if you underline things in the Bible, you might want to underline that. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that is the only means that should be used to measure a church, and it's how close we are in the likeness to his son, Jesus. That's what it's for. Now, as I mentioned, this passage here in Ephesians is speaking about the local church. So often we get hung up on numbers and growth and expansion and success in the eyes of the world. And we always need to remember, though, that it's God who gives the increase. Here is my pet peeve. I've got a bunch of them. I'm not going to tell you all of them. we here all night. Here is one of my number one pet peeves in the ministry: to get around a bunch of other preachers or pastors, and the very first thing out of their mouth, "How many y'all running down there?" Really? I got together with a group of pastors one time. We had a special meeting in our church, had a special speaker come in. He he preached and everything, and then afterwards, of course, all the pastors we all huddled together, you know, to get together. And here we are in this little circle, and all they're doing is, how many of y'all running down there this way? How many of y'all running? Concerned about how many they were running. And I thought, how ridiculous. I just kind of scooted out of that circle and just kind of walked away. And it's my church. (laughs) Or God's church, but I was the pastor. But uh, listen, uh, we don't need to look at things the way that the world does. Do you know there's a church in California... It averages over 23,000 people a week. Rick Warren is the pastor. I heard that he's going to retire. He's in retirement, I believe. Of course, he wrote a best-selling book called A Purpose-Driven Life. Uh, He has a whole conglomerate of things based around the purpose-driven stuff. They have workshops and training sessions. And you can go out, your pastor can go and fly out to California and sit under Rick Warren's teaching, and he can teach your pastor how to transform your church into a Saddleback Church. You know what they do? You know what the the instructions are? They fly back to their little rural churches where everybody uses the, the Redback Church hymnal and the King James Bible. And uh, all this, they fly back to that little church and they say, We got to take all them hymn books out. We got to get rid of that King James Bible, get one of them NIVs or one of the ESV or whatever Bible in there. We got to do this and that. We got to put, you know, we got to stand the whole service. We got to stand and we got to get us one of those praise bands now. We got to get those. And so they teach them all these things they can do to grow their church. And, of course, it, it fails in most rural churches. Most rural churches don't want that. Most rural churches want things the way that they're supposed to be. You know? And so uh, that's what they're told to do. Throw out the hymn books, throw out the Bibles, get rid of the church pews. We don't, we don't want it to resemble a church. Get rid of your stained glass windows, take the steeple off the top of the building. All this is going on today in the name of numbers, of growth, of success And so, what is the question? The question is, what is our purpose? Well, according to Rick Warren, it's to get big and better. I don't have to fly out to California under Rick Warren and tell you what the purpose of the church is for. It's to be measured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Period. The definition of a local New Testament church is a baptized body of believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. Uh, Pastor Sexton out at uh, Crown College where i where I graduated from, he drove that home to us almost every seemed like every other message he was telling us the the definition of a local New testament church, and we need to remember that you know we all are volunteers in a church you know, we 're not forced to join a church we 're not paid to join I hope nobody 's paid to join a church. Let me in on that if you are listen we 're volunteers, and we need to understand that. And there's a church about every block. I told them out at outreach, I could go in their parking lot, take a rock and throw real hard and hit a church almost in any direction. Uh, You can do that almost anywhere around here. And so people can go wherever they want to go. But what we need to focus upon is not, like I said, the growth and the numbers and all that. But it's getting ourselves more to conform into the image of Christ. That's what God wants for us. And so in Galatians 4.19, Paul said this. He said, my little one, my little children of whom I travail in birth again, he says, until Christ be formed in you, till Christ be formed in you. And so that is what our purpose is, is, to be formed into the image of Christ. Now, as a pastor, it's my heart's desire, of course, uh, in the ministry to do everything that God will allow me to do to help people in their walk, in their Christian walk, in their growth, to the perfecting of the saints, it's called in the Bible. And so it is my desire. God's laid that on my heart to try to help people. And when people come to me and ask me for advice or questions on what they can do in the local New Testament church, or what uh, I think that God may be able to use them in, or they may run a, a question from me and say, "Brother Byron, I believe God's called me to do this." I'm glad to talk with them, and we can look in the Word of God and say, "Well, this is what God's Word says about this." And so we can we can get people. In that, in that mindset of more like Christ, if you get your mind more like Christ and your walk more like Christ, then all these things will work themselves out. Um, so we need to be perfecting the saints. And God will give you a vision, not the vision like Paul when he sees a man from Macedonia, but uh, a vision of what he wants you to do. And uh, listen, I have pastor friends in the ministry and I see the same things every Sunday on social media, how they run down their service and what took place. And the number one thing is always this many people were there. <laughs> and it's, it's heartbreaking to me to see that even local New Testament Baptist preachers are actually using the world's measuring stick to measure their own church with. It ought not to be that way. Um, I'm reminded of what Brother Scott Polly said. One time he said, not one of the letters to the New Testament churches spoke about the size of their congregation, the beauty of their facilities or the variety of their programs. All of them emphasized faithfulness to Christ and true doctrine. The Lord measures his churches differently than we do. Uh, words of wisdom there from Brother Pauli. Uh, listen, Jesus taught his disciples and he perfected them for the work in the ministry. He started with them, and they were to carry on what Christ taught them. And as what he taught them, they taught the New Testament church. And it keeps going on and on and on. When Paul crossed over there and went to the European uh, part of the world, then all the, the gospel message kept going further and further, and it's all the way over here in the United States of America because of that. We can trace back what we know about Christ and all the things of the Lord all the way back to the Apostle Paul being that missionary that went. And so, uh, listen, again, it's not for man's applause. It's not for congratulations from the world. Congratulations, you're successful. You were on the front of the Knoxville News Sentinel for having so many people. Who cares? And so the word stature here, it means maturity is what that word means. And the word fullness means completeness. So you put those together. We're to be completely mature in Christ. I'm not there yet. I'll just tell you, I have not achieved. I've not attained, like Paul said. You know, I've not quite attained. But uh, verse 14, let's get back to our text. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You see, too many people today have remained spiritual babies. They've gotten saved, they sit on a pew, and that's about as far as they've taken it. They've never grown. They're, they're always on the milk. They've never got onto the meat. They're still stuck there as a baby sucking on a bottle. And so you'll find people that's been saved for 40, 50 years sitting in the same part of the pew that they began on after they got saved, and they're no closer to Christ than they ever were. They have not grown at all. A lot of them is set under these these huff and puff, fluff preachers that never really teaches real doctrine or theology out of the Bible. They just get up and try to get as many amens as they can. You know, I, I could do that all day long, you know. Per, per, some preachers do that. They want to get an amen, and they'll, they'll do all the, the antics to try to get you to amen. Listen, if you don't amen what I'm saying, it's just I'm just saying what God's Word says here. And so... I'm not trying to grab amens or to to entice you to amen me. If you amen anything, it's because you believe what God has said. And so if the preacher's not feeding you, if you're not maturing, if it's his fault, then you should probably look for a different preacher. But make sure it's not your fault, that you're not the one holding yourself back. You're not the little baby with a bottle afraid to pop it out of your mouth and learn some more. And so a lot of times, it's our own fault that we've held ourselves back. But when church members are not taught, they're not instructed, you become an easy target for outside interest. How many people's been sitting in your home on a Saturday, and you hear at the door, and you're like, who's that? (laughs) Well, it's the Jehovah Witness. It's the friendly Jehovah Witness from down the road. And they're knocking on your door, and boy, they're all smiles. And they've got their Bible that looks a lot like yours, and they've got all their little watchtower tracks and everything else, and they're there at the door with a big smile on their face, and they're ready to talk. And if you're not careful, if you don't know your Bible, if you don't know your doctrine, your theology, they'll convince you that what they have to say is the truth. Do you know that today more Baptists are converting into Jehovah Witness than any other faith? Baptists. You know why? The majority of Baptists don't know their Bible. Oh, they love the Bible. They love to put it on the dash of the car, put it on the coffee table, and this and that. But they don't ever want to read it. They want to open it up and look and see what God has to say. And when somebody comes along and knocks on their door and says, Well, you know, the Bible says this. They're like, It does, doesn't it? Well, my preacher down there doesn't ever tell me that. And next thing you know, they've got the Jehovah's Witness coming over every Saturday and spending time around the table talking to them. Next thing you know, they're calling saying, yeah, I found out there's some truths. This happened to my dad. My dad was a wonderful Sunday school teacher. He had taught this man for years the truth. And one of these Jehovah Witnesses come by and convinced him against the truth. And this man bought it hook, line, and sinker. He calls my dad says, yeah, he's going somewhere else now. And that he's, he's, he's been enlightened. He saw the light. This man come and led him to the truths of the Jehovah Witness church. And so how sad that is. They're nothing. They're, they're a cult. They're not a true religion, folks. They don't believe in the same Jesus that we do or the same God. And so uh, don't, don't be fooled by the Jehovah Witnesses. They'll, they'll make you believe anything if you're not uh, careful. And so, like Paul was saying, we don't want to be tossed to and fro. Don't let anybody toss you to and fro. Get your Bible out and see what your Bible says. And if you have to say, hang on, Jehovah's Witness, i got to go call my preacher. And go and call your preacher and say, this guy's at my door and he claims this. And what do you say? If you have to do that, do that. But don't fall for anybody that comes by with every slight of men, every wind of doctrine. You need to know the truth. You know, Paul, his pattern for teaching and perfecting the saints was always the same. Over in Acts 19, 8 through 10, the Bible says, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, that was Paul's manner. He would go into those, those places that had Jewish synagogues. First place he went, even though he's a preacher of the Gentiles, I'm going to the Jewish synagogue. Goes in there, starts preaching Christ. They either run him off or some of them believed. Eventually, they always ran him off. And so he, he left and he, he got his disciples together and they, he got in there and preached and, and taught the word of God. And you see that for two years. And everybody, the Bible says all they in Asia, heard, heard uh, the word of the Lord Jesus both Jew and Gentile, Greeks. Now, because of Paul's determination to teach and preach in Ephesus, we find out over time how people changed. Acts 18, 17 through 20. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. That's where we're at in our text tonight. The Ephesians, the Ephesus uh, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them also which used curious Arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So Paul's determination to go in there into these cities and preach the gospel, we see how people changed, how God got a hold of them, and how they started burning all these curious arts. You know, there's a lot of curious arts today. There's a lot of Christians dabbling in, in curious arts. There's a lot of Christians dabbling in black magic. They're allowing a lot of things in their homes that don't belong there. They need to get right. They need to get those things and do like these people didn't burn all that stuff. All right, back to our text we'll be finished there. Verse 16, our last verse from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So what is our result for measuring up to the fullness of the stature of Christ? We find it here. It's right there in verse 16. It maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, that should be our goal as a church, as church members. It ought to be your goal is to edify yourself in love, the love of Christ. And so if somebody did walk through that door right there, lost as lost can be, because of the love that you have for Christ, the love that he's put in your heart, because of the edifying, because of the doctrine, because of the instruction you've been given in the local New Testament church, you can approach that person, tell them about Jesus, And pray that the Lord will convict their heart and they'll get saved. We all have a thing to do. We have something to do. You may not be a preacher, pastor, evangelist, missionary, deacon, uh, Sunday school teacher, special singer. You may not be any of that. But trust me, God has something for you to do. And it's not to hold the pew down. I found in almost every church I've ever been in, the pews, well, I don't see any in these. (laughs) Most of the pews have the little screws in the side of them that screw them to the floor. And, uh, you know, why people think those things are going to get up and fly away, I have no idea. But you don't really have to hold those pews down. They're heavy. Trust me, they're heavy. And uh, so everybody has something to do in the work of the Lord. In the local New Testament church, you're not exempt. There's something for you to do. Something, and so what do we learn here from meeting? Paul continued preaching in the school there at Tyrannus for two years, teaching and preaches and preaching. But they wasn't only just meeting there for services; they were actually launching out from there. They were going out in the community. They were going out into the the region beyond them, and eventually out into all the world. And that's how God works. He starts locally in your neighborhood. Here in your church body, he starts locally, and then he branches out. You branch out teaching and preaching the gospel. So local churches can grow and be more like Christ. But we must place our emphasis on where God places the emphasis, and that's on the fullness of the stature of Christ. If we can ever get there, we'll be all right. We can get there. Let's all stand together. Brother, if you want to come up and give an invitation, I want to pray. If you need any help today, if you need to come to the altar for any reason and pray,